you like to get things done quicker, faster, and with less effort? So do I. So I created a Facebook group called Assistance Automation and AI for mental health providers. You can search it in the Facebook search panel. And I created this because I love to talk about this topic. I love talking about assistants and how to hire them and manage them. I love automations that do things for me quicker, faster, better. And then AI is just exploding on the scene. And I feel like I'm talking about all the about it all the time and my friends are talking about it. So why not create a community group where we can discuss these things together, share ideas and get things done quicker. I'd be humbled if you joined the group and started contributing your favorite tips and tricks on assistance, automation and AI for mental health providers. Go to the show notes, find the link for the group or just search up assistance, automation and AI for mental health providers in the Facebook search bar. We'll see you there. Hello, this is James Marland with Dr. David Hall. This is the Scaling Therapy Practice where we encourage you to take small steps that lead to big growth. Uh, hello, David, welcome. Hey, James. Uh, this week, we're gonna be talking about uh, the importance of hiring decisions and how to uh, make great hiring decisions first, we're going to do our tip of the week. So, David, you have a tool tip or tech of the week? Sure. Um, I wouldn't tell James before we started recording because <laughs> it is a uh, chat GPT. So uh. It's not, but but I want to. So it's been, I haven't, I haven't, it's not been my tip. You've made it your tip multiple times, but I've, yeah, yeah. I've started using OpenAI. Well, Zapier has just released some templates of how to connect Zapier with chat GPT. And so I just saw that last night and I'm like, holy crap, like I need to see about where, where that is. And so I, I'm, I'm haven't had a chance to investigate it, but if you use Zapier and you're interested in chat GPT, that could be an interesting, I'm very curious, uh, on, because uh, for those who aren't familiar, just Zapier is just, if you do any sort of automations, um, that can't be done internally within an application, Zapier can be this fix it's kind of the duct tape of uh yeah. uh, uh automation services that you can you can make a hold a lot of things together with it it's yeah very, like i've seen it somebody fills in a form and then it sends you it sends emails or like notifies you or fills in data mm -hmm. or updates something on your web page just in the background it's it's pretty amazing yeah. So Ch Chat GPT and Zapier. Uh, yeah. So if you go if you go to Zapier, yeah, if, if you uh, you can find that James, I'm sure, but it's it's on Zapier's website. But it's it's like templates they have of how to connect, use Chat GPT with with Zapier. Okay. So my my tip of the week is you know everybody knows or you should know I love Audible and I my new book of the week is. Um, the four day work week with Tim Ferriss. I see it this on is a very not new book, but it's a, well, it's not a new book, but you see it on everybody's to read list, you mm -hmm. know? And, and so I finally, you know, I finished my last book. Um, and so I, I was like, well, what should I do? And this came up. So I started doing it and, um, I'm really liking some of the ph philosophies and, uh, questions like, questioning the standard quo of you got to go to work for 60 hours a week and grind away and there's no other way to do it there's no other way to um 
make a living. So just put your head down and work and hopefully you get the results you want. And, you know, that's kind of how I'd done things for the last 30 years. Just work hard and hope, hope things turn out. But he's sort of like challenging the, 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 the status quo of that and saying, um, there, there's, there's a risk, there's a risk for not doing anything, I guess is the, the phrase that I was listening to. So it's sort of like, I, I think I do the safe thing by working, you know, staying in the nine to five and working hard and trying to advance and doing all the regular things you would think to advance while ignoring some of the other opportunities that sound crazy, like the moonshot stuff. And, and he's challenging my thinking is like that you're, if you don't take action, if you don't move out of your comfort zone, you're just going to keep getting the same thing. And then you're going to end up you know, the last five years of your life that, you know, when, when you retire, that's where you enjoy life. And he's really trying to challenge the thought there and say, you can enjoy your life. Now you just got to think about time and money differently. And I, I've just really been enjoying the the four hour work week with Tim Ferriss. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, I own it, but I haven't read it yet. I'll be honest. I've read a lot of things about it. And that's the funny yes. thing about like I've, I've heard about the four hour work week for because it came out, I think, about 15 or more yeah. years ago at this point. I think it was like 2005, 2006 when it came out. And I've talked to so many people that that was their inspiration. The you know, person I reference a lot in this podcast is one of my favorite podcasts, the online course show with Jacques Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And that's part of his for so many people that create online businesses. That's often part of their story is, well, I read the four hour work week and I thought, oh. I don't have to be grinding out in nine to five and here's a different way to do it. And how do I, you know, implement this in my life? And, and he's, he has a podcast still, I think Tim Paris. And I'll have um, to check it. Check yeah. It so, uh, yeah. Great tip. Yeah. So yeah. If, if, if all these people that you respect mention a book, it might be good to, to check out the book. All right, so we're going we're gonna to transition into our discussion on hiring and uh, making good hiring decisions. Uh, I'm, I'm leading a presentation shortly on um, making good hiring decisions, specifically in hiring a virtual assistant. So I've done some extra research on this this week. And uh, David, of course, always has some great advice on hiring. So let's, let's start out the conversation about, um, I always like to, to think about how I used to do it. Like, uh, how I used to hire um, was I I felt like uh, because I'd been interviewing people for 16 years and working in mental health that I knew the difference between the truth and a lie. And I could tell, you know, I could mm. tell when people are uh, being honest with me about what they're doing. And uh, I would just go a lot by my mm. gut feeling. And I think a lot of people who haven't had training start out that way like oh i'll just mm. i know people i've interviewed people i'm just gonna go with my gut because i know people what do you what do you think about that i mean i think i've i don't know if i've articulated that before but i think i've had that because i because i have a lot of confidence in my ability to read individuals um and i do but i don't know it's a different process one of my expressions in therapy and this is true and i think in hiring 
is that intimacy and objectivity are mutually exclusive. What and do you mean by that? So the closer you are to something, the less objective you are about it. Okay. So, you know, for your spouse or your children or your business partner and all that, they're not people you're going to have. If, if that represents an intimate relationship, one that you're close with, you're not going to have a lot of objectivity about it. Mm. it the, they work against each other. And it's not that you don't have knowledge. Like, I know my wife better than almost anybody would. I, would say I probably know her better than anybody. But I don't have a lot of objectivity when it comes to my wife, nor she with me. That's not the, the nature of the relationship works in, in a counter direction. And so the reason that's relevant, I think, is as a therapist, part of a good therapeutic boundary, which is one of the reasons I don't like how BetterHelp does things, because they blur a lot of the boundaries in therapy, is I'm supposed to maintain a certain level of distance, not lack of concern or care, but ultimately my clients are not supposed to be embedded in my normal life. They're, they're not supposed to be people that I get drinks with after work or, or that I socialize mm -hmm. with, like there are rules against that. And I think one of the reasons that's good is because it allows me to see them and their stories and all that in ways that I have a bit more detachment and that gives me more objectivity. But when you're hiring for yourself, and I think it's even just that process, like you're probably better at hiring for other people than you would be for yourself. Because when you're hiring for yourself, it's personal. Yeah. And so your objectivity will diminish. Yeah, I think we lose that. Um, when, when, we, when we feel like our role is to, to hire people, we lose the objectivity of looking for red flags, like looking for the things that uh, you, sh you should notice with that um, if you're, you know, if, if it was your high, just as you said, if you're hiring for somebody else, you'd see it a mile away and be like, oh, no, you can't do that. Yeah. But, but you, you get blind to blind because of the closeness or blind because you've set up your role as like, I have to hire this person. I have to fill the spot. I have to make this money to make these bills. So I'm just gonna get the best of the best of what I can find, but that might not be the best person for your, for your mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. No, I've had instances where it, it, I think part of it is I'm generally optimistic. Mm -hmm. um, which is a, a you know it's a good trait in a lot of situations as a therapist it's a good trait for a therapist yeah it's a good trait but it's it's horrible <laughs> as a hiring person because i am i am very inclined in my temperament yeah to minimize the deficits and to yep. repackage them as like oh no it's not this bad it's this other thing well because you're trained to believe in the ability of people to grow and change right like you mm -hmm. have to believe that I think, I mean, correct me as if I'm wrong. As a therapist, I believe it's super important. Yeah. As, yeah. A, as, as a, but as a hiring process, horrible. Um, <laughs> I have, because I've hired a lot of people that I've taken, that like, I think of one person I hired. And in their interview process, it was clear that they were not qualified for the job. That was clear to everybody in the hiring process. But I really liked this person. Yeah. And I thought, and so I, I, I created a new role for them in this idea and gave them six months. I don't really regret it. I gave them six months to say like, hey, look, you're not 
you your experience has not qualified you for this job but i'm i'm wondering if i could if you could learn it and so i'll i i created this like different role i'm like you can if you want to do this you can do this for six months and if you can learn the role and you know as i and i don't regret that necessarily uh, because i set myself expectation at the beginning of the, but i was i did it in the hopes that after six months this person would be where they needed to be and could be in the full role and they weren't the end of six months it was very clear that they weren't um there and um the the one thing i i appreciate of what i did is i i didn't just hire them i i i set something different that was very time limited mm -hmm. and it gave me an out but no there are other times that I look at, I, I see different red flags and I think, well, they just need to grow some if they're in the right environment and they're, because that's what I do as a therapist. Yeah. But um, it's too much work as a boss. Um, it's not that people don't grow, but they have to fit into the pot initially. Like mm. you, you, if the, if the tree or the flower or whatever it is, if it, if it can't, you know, there's a certain point where it has to be developed enough to be planted to thrive. And if it's not developed enough, then I can't plant it in my particular garden. Or even using your um, your planting analogy, if you might be, it might be a great plant, but your business is the wrong soil for mm -hmm. that. Like you're not the right environment. For, I, like, yeah. I don't think there's very many citrus trees up north where I am. You know, it's just the unless wrong... it's a greenhouse. Yeah, <laughs> which is which takes a lot of effort and work. You know, and going with the analogy. If you're a business that has a greenhouse, you might be able to transplant people. But I think most businesses, most do not have that environment to take a the wrong fit and transform them into the right fit. We think we can. Like, I don't know how many times I've hired people, just like you said, oh, I think I can, you yeah. know, I think they have the right skills. I think they have the right personality. I hope I can make it work. And then you realize either they don't, they're not the right fit or you don't have the time or the energy to devote to somebody who's such a, just not a good fit, not a bad person, but just not a good fit for your environment. And uh, we think, we think we can because we're good, you know, we're good with people and I know people and I have a good instinct and um, mm -hmm. I like this person. I think the term I'm searching for what, when you were talking was confirmation bias, does that fit? Where you, where you, I agree. Well, it, it's, I, you go in already with the yes in mind. Yeah. Like I'm and a hiring manager. I have to hire people. My default is if I find default somebody is yes. else, yeah, yeah, my default is yes. And I'm trying to maintain in the default. And cause that's your job. Your job is yeah. to hire somebody. So you gotta, you gotta say yes to somebody. Right. But I think well, you're going to, you're going to present something a little uh, different here, aren't you? Well, you, you're talking, James, about being in the roles, being a hiring manager. And, and since that's the, the lack of objectivity there is, you know, my job is to hire. Yeah. And so if I'm not hiring, that means I'm not doing my job. And that is a negative self-reflection or can be. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we lose objectivity because it's too personal in that. Like I am in this. You know, for me, it's not my job. It, it's the it's one of the things I do in my job as a as a clinic uh, director. But here's where my compromise, it's not that I think, oh, it's my job to hire, but it is, it is my, I don't like having to go through the hiring process necessarily. And so part of the reason I've pushed forward with people is I'm trying to solve the problem of having 
a certain number of clinicians in a practice. Mm -hmm. And how do I reach that? My goal is to be able to reach that and quit hiring is my personal goal. And so I have the, the, the vision. It's sort of like you go to buy a car and you go to the car dealership. And what they do, the sales process is they get you already imagining yourself in this car. And then you've kind of committed to that vision and you work backwards. And that's where you justify taking on a car payment for seven years or <laughs> you kind of, it, it is because you've already in your mind, you're already there. And then, and then you just kind of, how do I make this fit? Um, and it's, it's just how a lot of things work. And for this, when I'm bringing a candidate, I've already, if, if they're to the point where I'm bringing them in for an interview, I've already kind of thought like, I've, I've already had a positive thought of this person I think could fit. And I want them to fit because if I hire this person and they fit, then I don't have to hire another person. And that means I don't have to hire right now, which is great. That's one less thing I don't want to have to do. Mm. And so it, I'm trying to solve a problem. And I think this kind of goes into, if you're a problem solver, you want to find solutions and you want to find solutions in as speedily as possible. And to say no to candidates doesn't feel like a speedy process. And particularly when you don't feel you're inundated with quality candidates. I, I, it's funny, like, and this could be a conversation for another day of posting ads because I've done like for, for hires posting jobs because I've done it before on indeed and monster. Here's what I could, I have never, ever gotten a quality candidate I felt that I hired from ever. And so I am very, now that I could happen for other people. I don't want to, to, to knock that, but I, at least in my own process, my positive hires have been from word of mouth and, but people that are responding to a job posting on a board, I get. But that that is discouraging well, because I, I I'm trying to figure out what's the best of the worst candidates in that situation. Yeah, I think that's a, a flaw of job posting boards where we think if I post it, they will come type of thing. If I post my job, they'll come. But what we end up what we end up posting is is things that um, the 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 post attracts people who want a job, not necessarily your job. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if we don't put in, like, I, I, I know people do this, but I, I think a job posting needs the mission and then the tasks and the behavior that you're looking for. It's like super clear about what you are going for. And then the other, the, the hidden thing I put in my job posting is if you really want this job or if you're interested in this job, put in the subject line you know, please look at my resume or I'm really interested for this job because the people who want, the people who are just looking for a job, the people who want to work for you or your practice for, for your mission will read the post and do it. The, the people who are just looking for any job anywhere will just fill it out. I get one that starts like dear hiring manager. Yeah. Or dear like where it's very, yeah. you know, clearly like they're, it's going out to a lot of places. It's just yeah. like, but it is for me. So the, the lack of objectivity for one role could be like, well, it's my job to hire. Either mm -hmm. I've been, it's my job in this company or this firm or this practice, or it's what I've been hired as an outside consultant to do. I, I feel the need to do this. Or 
in my case, it is, I want this task done. It's one of the reasons I'm a bad shopper. Mm -hmm. I don't like shopping. I don't like shopping for things I like. And because some people, you know, they don't like shopping for things they don't care about, but they'll get excited to shop about things they enjoy. Like I enjoy, you know, musical instruments and vehicles and, you know, things like I don't enjoy shopping for them for the most part. Like, cause for me, shopping is a barrier between this moment and the moment I want to be in that I have to navigate. And so what happens is, is I try to, I, I will be hasty as a shopper. If I go shoe shopping, you know, the first pair of shoes I try on that look okay and feel okay. Mm -hmm. And when I'm shopping with my wife, she goes, she wants me. She well, don't you want to try more shoes? I'm like, no, I want the shopping experience to be done. And so it's similar for me hiring. Like I want the shopping experience of hiring to be done so I can move on to having a quality team member. But because of that, that hastiness will often mean that I will, because, because the thought is, it's, is particularly if it's the only candidate I'm considering in that moment. Well, if I say no to this person, then I will continue to have the problem I'm trying to solve. And so I really want this to fit. I really want the round peg to yeah. fit in the square hole. That that reminds me of a quote. Uh, a lot of my, a lot of my experience, uh, a lot of my advice on this comes from one bad decisions and two, the high the effective hiring manager. Mm -hmm. um, it's Mark Horstman. Uh, I'll put a link in the book. Uh, but he he was talking about the pain of the pain the pain of saying uh, no when you should have said yes is much easier to tolerate than the pain of saying yes when you should have said no. Uh, I would agree the, with that. The, the, pain, the pain of saying no when you should have said a yes is you, you find out a year or two later that your friend hired this person and they're a rock star, they're doing great. And then you're like, oh, geez, you know, I should have hired them. It's the one that got away. You might think about it for... 10 more minutes or maybe the rest of the day you go to sleep and you will never think about that again. But the pain of saying yes to somebody that you should have said no to is a lasting, enduring pain. I would even call it a scar. Like we all have these scars in our management uh, responsibilities. And, and that is just something that will cause sleepless nights and tears and frustration and like disgruntled other coworkers and the the list of things that you mm -hmm. you bring in the pain that you bring on yourself is long lasting and will have great effects so uh saying Agreed. yes to saying yes to somebody you should have said no to is one of the worst decisions you can make so choose the choose the other pain of like oh i i missed one that i got one that got away is just much easier to endure that's been your experience, right? Absolutely. The some of the most personal pain I would say I've had has been in business partnerships and hires mm -hmm. that were poor, because it's not detached from me. Uh, uh, like it, 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 you know, the the lack of objectivity becomes because it's personal, and then that pain ends up being very personal, very. And, uh, you know the. 
I'm trying to think of an instance. You talk about the first scenario. I'm trying to think of an instance, James, of, of some opportunity that I saw or a hire or something like that that I said no to. And then later kind of came back of like, oh, that would have been. Mm-hmm. Actually, and I can't think of too many in my. I can't think of too many. Part of it is because is I've been too involved in the yes bias. Yeah. Like I have had instances where people who I had the sense of like, okay, they weren't a good fit. And then I found them them thriving somewhere else. But it didn't. And I was. But honestly, I was generally pleased because I, I don't like saying people say no to people mm-hmm. and I want them to thrive. And I, I think of one instance where I was talking to somebody, they were looking for a job. I could tell from my first conversation with them that I didn't think they'd be a good fit. Um, but, and they were very disappointed when I didn't tell them like there was going to be, but I, I did say, well, here's some other opportunities. If I was in your situation, I would explore. And they took my advice and they wrote me, they sent me a LinkedIn message later saying, um, I want to let you know, I took your advice and I, talk to this group and I've just been hired and I want to thank you so much. And I that I was pleased with that. Like I if for me it was kind of consolation to help me not feel as disappointed that I said no, but I didn't have the thought of like, oh well maybe I should have. So mm-hmm. I can't think of an instance where yeah. um that was like, oh that would have been so and anything that is coming to mind feels very small. Like Which, yeah. Yeah it yeah like it's 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 not the yeah, it's not the enduring pain. Like the the book says something. I think it's something like, um, uh, when you make a cake, you you can substitute flour for sawdust. You can bake it, but you just can't eat it. Like, uh, you can you can get the wrong people in, but it it's it's just eating painful cake for, for months and months. Yeah. Um, and this leads me to one of my tips. Uh, is and so I, I grew up uh, independent Baptist, which means I, you know, I grew up not playing cards, watching movies, listening to rock music or swearing. And I don't know if this is going to like I, I struggle saying this phrase, but um, because of the swearing instance, but I it's it's in it's burned in my head. If it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Like you you have to get it so strong. Like if you are not like, oh, this person is perfect, then you have to get into the mindset that it's you you let them go because you're gonna you're gonna eat that bad cake if you you leave them in. I generally agree with that phrase. It it comes up in dating. Oh, I does do, it? Okay. It does, but I I uh I, I'm more it's funny, I'm more circumspect with people in that because I think sometimes people have unrealistic expectations of sure, sure of, of that. I generally think it's true. It is, but I, I think sometimes it's figuring out what what are the things that lead to your yes or no. And I'll, I'll, there are some examples with this. I, I think of um, there was one person uh, that wasn't a hire for me, but for a friend of mine, who this person came across as the the, the person that was hired uh, had some very quirky, awkward things in there that on first glance could be kind of off-putting, at least to my friend that was hiring. And they were, I was talking with them as they were trying to be like, you know, they seem to be a good candidate and all these sorts of reasons, but they just, they just seem a little awkward. And I said, well, I see how this is off-putting to you, but I said, do you think this would be off-putting for your clients? Mm. And they reflected on it and they said, no, because I, I think for the sorts of people we serve, they would find it as disarming. 
And I'm like, okay, well then consider. And they ended up deciding to hire them. And ultimately they got over this person's quirks and was able to see like, oh, this person really did fit. But so I think sometimes we have to get out of our own way. But generally, I, I agree with that. But reflecting on two different hires of mine, and th this is where I think sometimes we should ourselves, like, oh, I should have seen this. Sometimes yes, but sometimes no. So there's one person that I'm thinking of that they gave me indications in their interview that I should have said no, that I talked myself out of because I was already like past my own tipping point of like, but I think this person's a good candidate. It should be fine, da, da, da. And they gave me some early indications and continue to give me some. And it, it went far too long. If I had not hired them in that moment, would have been better if I would have uh, moved them on sooner. It would have been better, but it just it drug on and it just got worse and worse. Like the cake, that sawdust cake, it's not appealing when it comes out in the oven, but it gets less appealing every day. Every time, every day you eat it, yeah. Every day it gets worse, not better. And uh. so that's one instance where I can think of where the the dynamics were. It, it was clear, like there the expectations weren't well aligned that um for this person that there was there was lack of certain maturity there, there were lots of things that, that could have been indications of like oh this isn't mm. i i need to not be so optimistic and that's the warning signs but there's another person i think of that was an equally difficult hire in the or they became they didn't stay very long it didn't end very well it it in, in my feelings of it but there weren't a lot of warning signs i i look back on their interview process uh they didn't give warning signs necessarily it was it was truly a surprise and because here's the thing you could be really you could take all of the advice that james is giving and you're still going to have bad hires i don't know if there's any way yeah. to to eliminate that but the goal is reducing it mm -hmm. and um and how to to you know, what are the signs? But I'll, here's one of my signs. I'll give for therapists very proud because I hire um, pre-licensed therapists. A lot of people don't because of either it doesn't work in their financial model or legally, but where how my practice works is we'll take on people that aren't independently licensed yet as, as postgraduate supervisees that they work as employees in my practice. That is controversial uh, in certain clinicians because the idea is this is not the sort of job that a postgraduate should have a postgraduate needs to work a much harder job for less money uh they need to do community mental health they need to do because basically i offer what ends up being um a very lucrative and and not that hard job for people um and friends of mine are like, look, they, they haven't earned this yet. They haven't, they, they need to go. And, but I think there are issues with that because we do have this mindset in the industry that like, you've got to suffer and be overworked. Just like everybody else. Just like everybody else. Yeah. And, and so it becomes kind of like this hazing ritual, which Ooh. does that actually lead to positive client care or therapist self-development? So, so I, I, I hear the, the critique and I don't feel it's without merit, but I also think the critique has critiques to it but here's one of the things i've learned that if somebody feels too entitled 
to this as a pre-licensed early career therapist to the sort of job I offer, they are not a good fit. And when I'm doing initial interviews with people, somebody who who didn't pass early on uh, with me, uh, that they didn't make it through the first tier of the interview process was they said in the initial conversation of, I have always imagined myself immediately in private practice and I can't imagine myself doing anything else. And I thought, hmm, that lack of imagination is going to make this difficult. Mm -hmm. um, because I find that people that end up doing that, they don't, they're not happy. They, they often feel like they, that, um, you know, it's the, that, the job that they have in my practice should be more than what it is. It should be more money or it should be more freedom or it should be more. And they, they, it's pretty good for the, on the freedom and the income index. But if they come in with, this was their minimum, if the job I'm offering them is their minimum expectation, it's very hard for me to keep pace with that. The sort of candidate that does well is the one that even is a little hesitant that like, you know, am I really ready for something like this? Yeah, I I can I can relate to that because some of the some of the questions, um, well, I might not have articulated it as good in the uh, the early days. Was I wanted people who who loved doing the tasks of a virtual assistant because I hired a bunch of virtual assistants and they didn't feel like it was beneath them, like mm -hmm. they didn't feel like you know I'm too good to answer the phones or I'm too good to answer emails. Um, you know, who, who is this therapist? You know, you're my boss. Who's this other boss that I have? Those, those types of things, that type of behavior. And I think um, it's the job of the person hiring to ask great targeted questions that get to get to those behaviors to like root out what, what, what is the behavior that I need and mm -hmm. how do I ask the questions in such a way to help them demonstrate that they have this characteristic or this behavior that fits in my, that fits in my group. Cause you know, somebody who has bigger dreams might be, might be good for another position. Um, but if they don't see themselves as like a helper for, for a virtual assistant, let's say, then they're not going to do a great job because they're always going to be in conflict with getting all these tasks to do just the same way they're not, if they don't see themselves working in a group practice, then they are not a great fit for working in a group practice. Absolutely. And, you know, there's small things that I've learned. Like one is we have a kitchen at my office and the kitchen has a dishwasher. It's the only practice I've worked in that's had a mm -hmm. dishwasher. And one of the things I said is that like, first off, do not leave your coffee cups in the sink. Put them in the dishwasher. And when the dishwasher's full, start the dishwasher. And if you show up, uh, empty the dishwasher. And I've had some people, no one with me currently, but I've had some people be like, I don't feel it's my job to empty the dishwasher. I'm a therapist. I'm a, like, and I'm like, you're part of the, you're one of the roommates. Mm -hmm. This is, but basically they, they had this idea that someone else, this, this needed to be the job of somebody else that this was in your words, James, kind of beneath them. Mm -hmm. And I've said like, look, this is every, like. But that's the behavior of a team member. Like you're yes. looking for people who look out for each other. Like this will yeah. show up 
it's not about the dishes. Like it's yeah. not. No, it's about not about the, the dishes. dishes. It's yeah. It, it it's it's about all the things that's connected to and just yeah. this mindset that like because one of uh, I shared office space with another practice at one point and uh, the principal of the other practice uh, put the sign over the the sink and said when you leave the dishes in in the sink who do you think puts them away the dish fairy like and but because of this whole thing like oh but basically it's this like you know what i'm doing is more important and it's it's even kind of a i uh i worked with somebody once who he had had a job as a as a, a business manager for uh, a physician group and one of the things that they had which uh was he had these physicians a lot of them were surgeons uh er physicians that um wouldn't be up to date with their charting and but they had a very kind of their idea was like i'm saving lives i'm doing this like someone else can finish the paperwork and they had this thing where if you that you weren't paid if your charting wasn't up to date and talking about so many people being so like put out by that be like you know where's my where's my paycheck yeah it's like well you're, you're not up to date with my charting it's like well i haven't had time for that or whatever like i've got basically i'm out saving the world and this is and it was not to diminish that the fact that they are saving lives isn't important, but like, so is this other thing. And it's part of the job. Yeah. I, I don't know where this fits, but um, when you don't complete your paperwork and the insurance comes and audits your paperwork and they see that 20% of their clients didn't have their notes done, then they take back 20% of their everything, yeah. everything, yeah. not just your stuff, everybody's stuff. So no, you're saving lives, but if you crash the company car, you know, if you crash the company, then yeah. nobody gets help. So do your notes. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it, yeah anyways. To, that's a big deal. But anyway, but it just becomes <laughs> the point of... That's off the side. Yeah, anyways. But, well, but it, it becomes like, but I, you articulated something a few minutes ago, James, that I think is important because you said, you know, for me, I'm looking for team members. And that's absolutely true. Mm. For someone who comes in and wants a paycheck for work, they're not a good hire for me. I don't have that sort of practice. If they want to be a part of a team, like not just that word, but like they seek it out and that's clear in their behaviors. Like, do they seek out collaboration? Do they seek out, you know, building relationship with their coworkers? Do they, you know, seem to enjoy being around? Those are people that are going to thrive. And going back to the metaphor of the soil, that's the soil I have to offer. And part of when I'm, my hiring process is weaning people out is are you the right tree for the soil? Because it's a mutual responsibility, I feel, that I've tried to develop a sense of more of that. You're not good for me if I bring you in, but also I'm not good for you. It's me. Yeah, I could you kill be, you. <laughs> yeah, me. I would hiring you could be a great disservice for your yeah. career development. Yeah. And how do I uh, uh, articulate that, um, make that as clear as possible? And I've had, um, and when I've, one of the things I've learned for hires, if they're trying to talk me out of, if I'm trying to give them a gentle no, because it's clear that like the soil and the plant don't match and they want to fight it, that's even more of an indication. Cause I'm like, if, if, if like, or if you're saying like, I'm determined to do this in spite of all the evidence, then mm -hmm. that's not like, that's a problem. And so, uh, 
what are some of your other tips in the in the process? So uh, just just quickly, I think you got to know what the the right behaviors are for your for your office. And you were you were starting to like talk about the teamwork and the the thriving in that type of environment. So you have to identify the behaviors that people need to thrive. You can't just like take something from Indeed, which I've done in the past, and like a, a, a template job description and just post it and think you're going to get the right people. So spend some time writing down the tasks that need to be done. Like what are the things that lead to uh, um, success in your office? And then what are the behaviors that get those tasks done? So if uh, not can't uh, seeing patients is probably high on the list, you know. And yeah. so, what are the behaviors of somebody that sees patients? You you could probably list four or five of them. One is not canceling. Two is being dependable. Three is keeping a a good calendar. You have to have you have to know those behaviors for what you want. Like write them down, uh, identify them. If you don't know what they are, find an A player that you have and see what they're doing. What is their quality and quantity of work what are the reports they produce what do they do how do they get the results that they're supposed to do start there and do it if you if you're just a solo practice and you're either hiring a virtual assistant or another therapist ask a friend you know what are what are your a player behaviors you got to know what the behaviors are uh, that's that's tip number one and tip number two we've talked about it is like not don't just know them like use them take off the hat of the therapist and you know, knock down the walls of confirmation bias and put your default to no and start start reviewing things according to the behaviors that you 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 need. Like you have to have standards. Every other industry has standards. You know, your tax guy has standards. You're building you, you know, the guy who does the the foundation for your house has standards. Everything has standards. If you don't live according to standards, things break so set the standards have use the standards and then the three is just uh like filter root out the bad hires so that all you're left with is potentially good hires and that's done through the resume process the pre-screening and then your 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 interview questions need to be behavior based you don't ask like what would my what would your boss say about you because you're asking people to uh, make something up or back them into a corner. But what you're really trying to do is in this situation, we have these situations at our job. This is what, uh, this is what might happen. How would you handle or how have you handled a similar situation? So it's basically a three-part question, um, a helpful lead in an open-ended beginning, and then the behavior you're looking for, because you're making it easy for the person who has the behavior to answer that question and hard for the person who doesn't have the behavior to answer that question. So, uh, for example, uh, for cash-based client practices, if you're hiring a virtual assistant, you might say your helpful lead-in is sometimes people want to use their insurance, but we don't take insurance at our practice. Then the open-ended is tell me about a time when you, so you know, tell me when you did this and then just just describe what you want. Tell me about a time when you explained the benefits of a service, uh, the benefits of the service that didn't take insurance, because the people who have done that before will know exactly what you want and how to do it. 
the people who haven't done before, they're going to say something like, well, I, I think I would, or this is what I would do. And so if you ask enough, if you know enough of the behaviors that you want, you ask enough of those questions, there's going to be a gap. There's going to be a, a big dividing line between the people who have those behaviors that you're looking for and the people who don't have those behaviors. And you're not hiding anything. You want people, you want people to know that they're doing a good job and you want people to know that they might not have these skills. And you, as somebody who hired, you definitely want to know these things that uh, this person has eight of the 10 behaviors that I'm looking for. I think I can train the other two. This is good. Or this person has two and, and I have no time to train the other eight. So um, I think you got to base everything on behavior because the best predictor of future behavior is recent past behavior in a similar situation. It doesn't work for everything, but for jobs, it's the best we have. It's not perfect, but that's what we got. So I would, I would really na nail down just the one, um, just the one thing is I'd really narrow that narrow down your behaviors. Like what, what behaviors contribute success and then ask those, you know, build everything around that, like build your resume review around the behaviors. If you know the behaviors, like if I said, where can you find teamwork on a resume? There's no wrong answer. David, where do you think you could find somebody who exemplifies teamwork on a resume? Mm. Um, I think some of it is, is when are they highlighting activities or things that, that were clearly involving collaboration? You know, yeah. do they do yep. they if they're talking, if if they're showing their job history or the volunteer things they're listing or whatever it is doesn't give me any indication of the enjoyment of work. It's not just like capacity. Like part of it for me is they have to like it. Yeah. And if you don't like it. So, so if under their accomplishments or maybe yeah. their job duties, they don't list anything about team. Like I did this or I did, you know, yeah. I mean, you do put a lot of eyes in resumes. It's just sure. It's, it's it. not an issue, but like, is it, I'm looking at these settings and if, if, Time and time again, it shows that this person is more of like a, a lone warrior mm -hmm. sort of individual is like there are other situations that they can thrive in, just not money. Right. right. And and you just got to figure out everybody's a little different. You got to figure out what behaviors lead. You know, what's your mission? You know, what what mm -hmm. behaviors lead to that? The, the achievement of that mission. And then just be really clear about asking them. And then the the. A side tip here is just ask the same questions every time so mm -hmm. you can um, compare the same answers. Like even yeah. if you have group interviews, and this was in the book, uh, The Effective Hiring Manager, group interviews, uh, if you're interviewing multiple people, everybody asks the same questions. So when you compare, you're all comparing the answers. And people would think, oh, won't people get bored about that? Won't people stop answering the questions and the good hires don't and the bad hires do like you can fool people for an hour right i think that's mm -hmm. part of the problem you can you can fool people with good answers for an hour but um you just ask the same the same behavior interview questions and then when you're comparing it you you can compare and you have a meeting and talk about you know why why you would hire this person you have eventually you have to make a decision and so mm -hmm. uh, you have to decide what what is the standards for that decision and mm -hmm. um you know i would hire this person because they 
demonstrate it. You, you actually phrase it this way if you're doing it in a group. I would hire this person because they demonstrated behavior A, B, C, and D. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that's why I think they would make a good hire. Because you have to, you can't just say, I think, you know, I hope they would be a good hire. Or, you know, th- you just got to have good reasons for it. And behavior is the best predictor. Uh, I'm pretty strong on that because I've had some bad, I've just had some terrible hires that I I should have had a, I should like you should on yourself, but I should have had uh, uh, seen the red flags and I didn't have the standards and it was painful. Mm-hmm. And that's why I am really passionate about helping people prevent, prevent scarring themselves more than they need to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so those were some of my tips. Any, uh, anything else you want to say before we go to the one thing? I don't think so. So here's the one thing for me, which is, um, and I don't know if we've said this, we, we talked around it. I don't know if we said this exactly. If faced with poor candidates, it is better in my belief, just not to hire than to hire the wrong person. I, one of the things that have led me to justify people is I, I maybe even have the conscious thought like this may not be the best fit, but it's a warm body. And honestly, that's never served me ever, 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 because I'm trying to solve it for me. If it's, I'm trying to hire a therapist and it's like, well, I need, I need more therapists. It, it doesn't, it's better for me just to have an empty office, an empty spot than it is to have somebody that because it's their work it's it's work to take on somebody and to to get them up to speed and then if they don't work out or it, they it ends up being negative for the overall work experience and it's, it's just not worth it if the lost revenue is minuscule compared to the cost otherwise emotionally if yeah. i'm trying to find like somebody to run my social media and i can't find anybody that's good then mm-hmm. I guess I'm still running my social media. And even if I don't like doing it, and even if like it's, I'm not doing well, you, you will, it, it's, it's not that like you being stuck with the job is a good answer, but it is far better than hiring the wrong person. And I don't want to be, I guess, too absolute in it. Certain things require less skill sets, you know, um, if I hire somebody to mow my lawn and, and their job is, is, you know, the consequences of a poorly cut lawn is, is going to be less significant to me in my life than other things. But I could say specifically for practices, if it's just like, well, I want to, I want to grow the group practice, but I'm not finding good candidates. You know what? Then it's not time to grow. Mm. Um, grow slow. And it, it's, it's, or be willing to grow slow. Mm. Um, yeah. Is, uh, so, Great. yeah. Your, your, your lawn mowing example made me think of my, my uncle or uh, Lorette, my, my uh, wife's brother hired somebody to mow the lawn and the, the deck wasn't um, level and he chopped every up and down. He chopped holes in the lawn with the blade that um, messed it up. So there are people who can do a really bad job mowing yeah. lawn. Anyways, anyways, it just made me laugh because yeah. um, he's like, didn't you know, <laughs> didn't you, yeah. didn't you feel it? Didn't you see it? Anyway, okay. So yeah. my one thing is probably just the same as your your one thing. It's it's that if if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no mm-hmm. because you you can't you can't overestimate the pain of the wrong hire. Like mm-hmm. that is that is just something we think we can do. 
I hope it'll get better. I think I'm good. I'm great at teaching people. And then you end up with somebody who makes you cry at night or like grit your teeth for the pain you're going to have to endure in the morning is mm-hmm. just not worth it. So uh, look, look, look for those red flags. Make your default no, because it's easy to hire somebody, but it's super hard to fire somebody. So just mm-hmm. just make your default no and look for the people who are the great fit that will thrive in your company. So that's mm-hmm. that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, David, for a great episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you, James. Uh, this is James uh, with Dr. David Hall. Uh, thank you for joining us. Take those small steps that lead to big growth. We will see you next time. Psych Maven is proud to support the Scaling Therapy Practice Podcast. And if you are someone looking for ideas that are tailored to your own personal style on how to scale and grow your own impact and income as a mental health provider, we hope you might check out our free online assessment. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, you can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results, so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. That is stp.psychmaven.com. P-S-Y-C-H-M-A-V-E-N.com. Have fun with it. Thank you for listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to remind you that the content shared today is for general information and entertainment purposes only. It should be considered as legal or tax advice. If you need a professional advice in those areas, please consult with a licensed attorney or accountant. But thank you so much for listening. The Scaling Therapy Practice is part of the SciCraft Network.